I'm driving through the wreckage of all my twisted dreams. This cheap investigation just can't stifle all my screams. It has nothing to do with the show. <laughs> Welcome back, creeps. Hey, y'all. I was getting my Guns and Roses on in the car earlier. Doing my best Axel Rose. Are we recording? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I guess this week... Oh, yeah, welcome back, Creeps. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Sherman Ranch Part 3. Yay. 3.5. No, just three. <laughs> just three, yeah. Never mind. How so, was your week? That's oh, what I was going to ask you. Yeah. It was good. Nothing. Um... Oh, I did my Around the Coffee Table. I started the series off last week. It was good. We were popping off on my channel. When I say we, it was just me. <laughs> no, you had a couple of watchers, right? Oh, I did? I think so. Oh. When I'm streaming, I can't see who's watching or how many people are watching. Mm. I feel like if I did that, then it might, like, mess with me. Yeah. So yeah, that's fair. The only thing that I have open is the chat. So if someone directly talks to me, then I, I'm like, oh, okay, at least one person's watching. <laughs> yeah. And we also like repainted and redecorated our bedroom. Oh, yeah. Kind of spontaneously. Yeah. Which, by the way, if you're into decorating for Halloween or year round, if that is your aesthetic, right now is the time to go shopping at Home Goods, Marshalls, Michaels, all that stuff. Michaels has an abundance of really cool shit. And it's 40% off. This is not sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just really enthusiastic about it. Yeah, I only kind of found out what Michael's really was the other day. We had been there once or twice before, but I went in to get stuff for a little uh, photo shoot thing that I was doing. And I was in awe. Yeah, Michael's is, it pops off. Yeah. In regards to what I recommend this week, I have regressed to my... 14, 15 year old angsty self and I've just been listening to Metallica a lot of Metallica I even watched the uh, Some Kind of Monster documentary mm -hmm. so cringy so amazing right now actually we I think it's worth mentioning that we've been really leaning hard towards uh, those YouTube Japanese channels Japanese YouTube channels yeah what did I say YouTube Japanese Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, th there's like no talking, only captions. And I enjoy reading the captions because you can like, there's a, the one that we've been watching recently. I feel like I can hear his personality in the captions. Yeah. And I just like to take things out of context and I'm reading them. <laughs> um, but no, it is. It's probably the most relaxing thing that I have experienced in months. Yeah, and it's a specific style. You'll know it when you see it because it's a first-person point of view and there's no talking. Yeah. It's just a person spending the night at a capsule hotel, showing you all the amenities, uh, taking, like... Taking you on the train, taking you on a ferry. Yeah, like you're seeing what they're eating and it's all in the first-person point of view. Yeah, it's not even spooky and we're watching it. Yeah. I feel like I literally just said this, but I feel like I know Sapporo, <laughs> that town or whatever. Anyway, that's been our week. Painting, building furniture. Watching 
YouTube Japanese channels. Yeah. Japanese YouTube channels. Yeah, that's about it. And really? reading. You've been reading. Well, yeah, I suppose I have been too. And uh, yeah, I think I might be getting sick. Oh, no. Yeah, my Why? throat's at me. It could be that or it could have just been from doing my best Axl Rose impression in the car. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it's been coming on for a few days. So apologies if I do sound a little bit weird or anything like that. But don't say, have you got a tarot card for us? I do. Let's see if we're going to get sick. Yeah. So usually I get, um, okay. So I, this is what I started to do this week. I started going back to the gym and at the gym, I'm exclusively doing weights. And I found a nice little neighborhood because we don't live in a nice neighborhood. So I found a little nice neighborhood that I can jog in. And I've been jogging for 20 minutes and it's the most exhilarating thing I've ever done. Like I really like jogging. And usually every single day at 7 o'clock, no, 8 o'clock, 7 or 8, one of those two hours, I on the dot, I get my notifications for the tarot card of the day. Mm. I didn't get one today, but I didn't notice. And as soon as I got home, showered, got, uh, I, I started resting after all that. I was just kind of there, you know, and I got a notification for my tarot card. And this is the tarot card. Today's tarot card is the six of wands. Others look up to you and your confidence supports and motivates them today. Enjoy their admiration while at the same time remembering you've earned it through your good actions and attitude. Keep it up. Nice. I know. How positive and reaffirming. Yeah. So that felt good. Like it felt very pointed. Yeah. Like you're on the right path. Yeah. That's cool. And that goes for all of you people listening. I hope that fits into your whatever you got going on right now. Yeah. So shall we talk about some weird shit on a ranch? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So this week, I was trying my best to squeeze everything into one last episode because I hate going over three episodes. But I just couldn't do it. I feel like this episode might be a little bit shorter. So like two shorter episodes rather than one episode of just jam packed and like I would have had to lose some stuff. So we will be finishing this next week. But that being said, it will not be a conclusion because this is an ongoing investigation. Spoiler alert, if you didn't already know that. With that being said, let's get back to where we left off last week. The Shermans had finally had enough after enduring over 18 months of bizarre activity and attacks on their animals. Luckily enough, Terry going to the press was a good move on his part, as it meant that the article caught the attention of the boys over at NIDS the National Institute for Discovery Science, known also as NIDS. Awesome. <laughs> Great. Also known as the National Institute for Discovery Science. No. Um, this was founded by Robert Bigelow with the sole intent of providing money to the scientific study of paranormal phenomena. I'm not going to do a big deep dive on Robert Bigelow, but in a nutshell, he was this mega rich dude who grew up, who grew up in Las Vegas and became obsessed with the idea of space travel at a very young age. I think he had actually watched like nuclear bomb testing or something. Mm. I guess you could do that in the desert. 
back oh. in the day. Okay. Or maybe it was just like really talked about. Either way, he was fascinated by it. Like he was in the right place for it being in Las Vegas. Yeah. At the age of 12, he had his mind set on space. He made a buttload of money in real estate from the 60s all the way up to the 90s and early 2000s. And he's still extremely active like in the space realm, I guess. The space space. The space space. Like he is actually hoping to launch the very first space hotel. Whoa. Sometime this year. I feel like Bezos is probably going to beat him to it. Well, they're actually like all three of them are up there as like I think it's Bigelow Aerospace, uh, SpaceX and yeah, whatever the other one is. is SpaceX is Tesla. I, that's I Elon think that's Musk. Elon Musk. Yeah. So whatever Amazon Basics fucking rockets. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Amazon Basics. <laughs> but yeah, so he's he's still like really involved in that. And he was actually, I can't remember, I like read the figures, but he spent he specifically bought like large um like hotel chains and like apartment blocks like five thousand houses or something on yeah so like stupid rich anyway you know i didn't know bigelow was a real last name you just thought it was like juice bigelow yep i mean he's got that much money he might have just changed it for the sake of it yeah i feel like yeah that is my reality now <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully Robert Bigelow is also a total nerd, like all the rest of us listening right now. And all the other billionaires. <laughs> and all the other billionaires, yeah. But nerds. <laughs> fucking nerds. <laughs> but when Nids found Sherman Ranch, they thought like this was the closest thing to a laboratory setting. Laboratory. I actually don't really know how to say that word. Laboratory. Laboratory setting. As... But who knows? Because, I mean, I don't say mayonnaise, right, apparently. You don't say may- mayonnaise, right? And you don't say wolf, right? <laughs> you just ain't right. You just ain't right. <laughs> anyway, when Nids found Sherman Ranch, they thought that this was the closest thing to a laboratory... <laughs> shit. <laughs> laboratory setting as anyone is likely to ever get. And so they just jumped at the opportunity. And Bobby Bigelow didn't just hire a load of, like, Zach Bagans and Derek Echoris either. He had a quote world class multidisciplinary advisory board that had been carefully handpicked from an array of disciplines in mainstream science. Hmm. No, I don't know who any of those people were. That's okay. kinda I don't know if it was secretive. I just never found out who they were. But Colin Kelleher, who co wrote the book Hunt for the Hoogadooger, <laughs> along with George Knapp, an award winning journalist. <laughs> Got his PhD in biochemistry from Trinity College, Dublin. Just say that one more time. That word, just the word. Hoogadooga. <laughs> Trying to be respectful of the other word. Yeah. Um, flimflocker. Flimflocker. Colm had only actually joined NIDS in the summer of 1996. Again, literally just weeks before they acquired the Sherman Ranch. And he would eventually spend something like 300 nights on the ranch while working with a team of scientists and other investigators. The Shermans managed to buy a smaller ranch about 25 miles away. And Gwen and the two kids were quite happy with their like new living arrangements. But Terry just couldn't let go. Maybe it was stubbornness. Maybe it was pride. Maybe it's Maybelline. Maybe it's Maybelline. <laughs> Some sort of responsibility for this new team coming in or just the fact that I was listening to Ecstasy of Gold by Ennio Morricone while I was writing this. But Terry... Hero of this tale, just could not leave the story here. (laughs) He offered to stay on as a ranch manager. 
He's like, well, I guess I'll look after the place. So one of our listeners, Jody, thank you for the support. They said that they think Terry even wears a barbed wire thong. <laughs> I have to agree. But you, know, you know, maybe he just couldn't let go because he need, feels like he needs answers. He needs closure. Yeah, I think that was. Actually, yeah. I was just trying to make a joke. You know? Oh, no, no, no. Not, I mean, <laughs> no, by I all means, like he, he probably does wear that thong. <laughs> but like, I think it, it's it's closer, closure he's after. Closure. And like as much as I love this version of Terry that we have made, <laughs> There is also the very real possibility that the family were flat broke mm. from between like lost livestock, lost time and whatever else. Now having to buy a new ranch and start again. Like, Well, so. they, they did get that that money from Bigelow. Yeah, but I don't know what their financial situation was. I just yeah. know that they were still poor. Oh. Well, I mean, you know, worse off than they were before Sherman Ranch. Anyway. Nids provided a small herd of cattle and Terry kept some of his own there, like, to be used as a bait. They what? didn't even try and dress that, that up in the book. They made it very clear that this is a scientific experiment and these cows are bait. Why would he do that, though? Like, he's already broke. Why would Terry do it? I mean, yeah. to be honest, I was thinking, and this goes back to the farmers and ranchers using cattle mutilation as a form of, like, insurance fraud. Mm-hmm. I was thinking maybe he just threw some lame cows up there and was like, you know what? The Nids team are going to reimburse me for these anyway. Mm. Which actually might answer a question later on that I was asking as well. The Nids crew started their investigation in September of 1996. And on their initial tour of the land, Terry walked them to the fence that divided the ranch from the neighboring property where two decaying cows lay with their heads underneath the barbed wire fence. They were the neighbor's cows, not Terry's, but they had gone missing a few days prior. Now, what I'm going to point out here is the fact that they were completely covered in thousands of flies and decaying at what I'm assuming is the normal rate. Not all the carcasses did, though. So it was like a select few. And I also don't know that these were mutilated. They were actually too badly decomposed already by the time they found them. Nids had a vet on their crew. Like, that was the typical crew that came out was Colum, the biochemist, uh, another PhD scientist, I can't remember in what, uh, and a vet. And then they eventually hired like two just investigators. But either way, the vet confirmed that, yes, this was extremely strange that these two cows were just heads under the barbed wire fence. Yeah. 30 yards away from each other. There was also no signs of struggle. And like, maybe they were just trying to get to that juicy, juicy Sherman Ranch grass and got stuck. But either way, that's extremely unlikely. Yeah. That both of them will go the same way. So Terry then took the team to the site of a different type of strange phenomena. This, I believe, had happened right before he went to the press. Now, I don't know whether it happened after he alerted the press and just before his interview or whether it was actually the final thing. But it was one of the main talking points in the interview um, when he finally went to the press. So two circular holes in the ground, several feet wide and about a foot deep. Terry had found many of these, typically following a night of flying lights. The Nids guys estimated that two or three hundred pounds of soil would have to be removed from the ground in order to make those holes. And guess what? Terry never found any random piles of soil anywhere. Yeah. This was just tons at this point Mm -hmm. of missing soil. Yeah. 
And like that, it just disappeared. And the holes are always perfectly cut, whether they were circular or straight edged. It was, you know, like cookie cutter was how they described it. Like an ice cream scoop. Yeah, pretty much. Terry also told the team this, and I'm just quoting straight from the book here, but, quote, he used to sneak out of his house after dark, armed with an old manual video recorder that contained as few electronics as possible. Slowly and painstakingly, often on his stomach, he would make his way down to a vantage point where the weird floating lights were often seen. That spot was about two-thirds of a mile west of his house. Like an expert hunter, he would wriggle along the ground while taking care not to break any branches or twigs, and he would remain in the same place for 20 minutes if he thought he had made the slightest noise. Sometimes he would take hours to arrive at a good location where he could observe and listen. Terry told me he had lain almost frozen in ditches for hours while he waited to catch a few minutes of activity on videotape. Though only marginally successful, he did see numerous quietly floating lights of all shapes and sizes during those nightly forays. Terry assured me his methods were successful and had produced results, and this proved to him that whatever was terrorising him was not necessarily omnipotent. Or maybe it was just playing with him. Maybe it could see him perfectly and was just reeling him in like a fish. Terry said he never really knew. So, so he crawled on the ground for two-thirds of a mile. Yeah. Wow. Stopping for 20 minutes at a time if he thought he had made any noise. This guy is so hardcore. Hardcore or just obsessive? Hardcore. He eats <laughs> rocks Well, for fucking breakfast. So now at least, like, you all have an idea of why I have this, like, G.I. Terry vision going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. And he advised the NIDS team to carry on with the same approach. He actually suggested that they set up a HQ in a nearby town and like sneak onto the land at night, like using off-road vehicles or something. But they just went ahead and installed the observation trailer on the property. Like I think right next to Homestead 1, which was Terry and Gwen's house. Mm -hmm. Now, I always thought this was interesting because there is literally the perfectly functioning empty house right next to the trailer. But I genuinely think that the people were freaked out. Like these scientists were like, oh, no, 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 we better like, you know, set up neutral ground here in this observation trailer. But realistically, that house was fucking haunted. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, today, this is also a little bit of a spoiler. They're, they do have actual scientists in there. I can't remember. I think one of them is a, an anthropologist mm -hmm. and her her boyfriend or husband. They do live there and they continue to experience bizarre shit. But at this point in time, as far as I know, nobody was staying there. The NIDS team that moved into the trailer were, like I said, comprised of a physicist, a veterinarian, and a couple of investigators who I suppose were not PhD scientists. And then, obviously, our boy, Colm. And they got their first taste of the peculiarity of the land at around 1.30am on September 16th, 1996, mere days after moving onto the land. After coming in for a break from their high-tech nightly routine investigation, from out of one of their trailer windows, they saw this light in the distance. It hovered for about 10 minutes above the trees, then moved down below the tree line to where they couldn't see it anymore, and then back up again into view. Now the lads decided that this was definitely not any regular type of aircraft, no helicopter, flare, star or planet, and was therefore an unidentified flying object. 
Colin Kelleher described it as, quote, profoundly mundane, which I feel like so many of these types of experiences can be, but that's like a part of the beauty of it. It's like just enough to keep you there, you know, like just enough for you to question, like, what the fuck are we all doing here? <laughs> There's aliens. But I even thought of like, remember those weird lights that we saw when we were driving across the like Louisiana, Texas border that night? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was like we were super late because we had got caught in like That's really bad right. traffic. And we're both just kind of watching this like strange light and then just shoots off. Right. The weird thing about it is that it mo- didn't it move vertically. Yeah. Like so at first it was like, oh, maybe it's just planes in the distance. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, yeah, it just like shot off in like a very strange angle very mm-hmm. fast. It was like, oh, this was not anything like, like that we know of <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, it's not a commercial yeah airplane. and not like a satellite either anyway very bizarre but like at the same time what were we gonna do i think we both just looked at each other and we we're just like oh. okay yeah just something weird that happened yeah it also in my opinion served another point these lads had all the top of the range instruments with them night vision cameras hand handheld spectrometers military grade binoculars the works But at the end of the day, it's the night. (laughs) No, but at the end of the day, it was still just a strange light in the distance. Mm -hmm. Over the next few months, the NIS team carried out investigations by night and interviewed locals during the day. On one more occasion, they witnessed a bizarre light anomaly, but that was it. While interviewing the people in the neighboring property, however, they found out that Mr. Gonzalez, as he was referred to in the book, had lost many cattle over the years. He recalled finding one of his cows in 1995 lying in a field where she shouldn't have been and on closer inspection he discovered that she had somehow broken two of her legs. He ran to get her a blanket, pretty sure that he was going to have to put her down but when he returned barely five minutes later she was gone. Whoa. Yeah, just gone. A whole ass lame cow. Yeah. It was a completely open field, nowhere she could have hidden even if she had been able to move her with her two good legs, it was also broad daylight. There was also nowhere to explain how she would have broken both of her legs. Yeah, and she, there's nowhere to hide, I would imagine. It's like an open field. Yeah, just completely plain, like no, no yeah. trees or nothing. So Mr. Gonzalez went back to his house in shock. And about an hour later, he looked out of his window only to see his cow lying in the same field about 50 yards from where she had been in the first place. Poor Mr. Gonzalez said that he almost fainted when he saw her. <laughs> he ran back out to check on her once more, only to only to discover that she now had four broken legs. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh... He ran back to the house again to get his gun this time so he could put the poor cow out of its misery. But when he went back, she was still there this time. He did put her out of her misery. But eventually, Mr. Gonzalez came to the conclusion that the cow must have been lifted into some sort of aircraft and brought into that field because they weren't even supposed to be in that field in broad daylight without making any noise at all twice you know what i mean yeah whatever these things are they're just assholes oh yeah doing this shit to fucking cows yeah like the most and dogs fucking yeah and dogs yeah just animals mrs gonzalez also told the NIDS crew that she had seen a fast-moving silvery object that, quote, rapidly descended in the direction of the Red Rock Ridge near her home. Now, that ridge is now known as 
Schlimmschlocker ridge. Okay. But the object accelerated as it neared the ground and she waited fearfully for the explosion that would surely engulf her. Instead, the silvery aircraft flew smooth into the ridge as if it just didn't exist. Hmm. As if it just passed into another dimension, perhaps. But that was it as far as like the first three months almost of investigations and uh, interviews. The NIDS guys left the ranch when the weather started to get cold and Terry told them they needn't bother coming back until after winter and it was relatively quiet for the next few months. He would call them once a week for updates and in January, three of his calves suffered peculiar injuries but nothing serious until March 10th, 1997. Terry called the Nevada headquarters in a panic or as close to a panic as Terry could get. Uh-huh. I would just imagine, like, if he's stressed out, he's probably just breathing hard. Yeah, I think that's literally what it was. Yeah. They got a newborn calf. We were close by, and we didn't see or hear a damn thing, he told them. One of his Black Angus calves had been dismembered in broad daylight. What? The Nids lads hopped on their private jet and were on their way in no time at all. Barely five hours later, they were stood in the field looking down at what remained of the calf. It lay on its back, with its legs spread neatly away from the body, with what Colum Kelleher described as, quote, fastidious delicacy. Terry had just tagged the young calf with one of those, like, big yellow ear tags that they tag cows with. Yeah. And then he walked about 200 yards over to fix a fence or something. When about 40 minutes later, his dog started snarling at something before it just ran off into the west. Again, it was broad daylight, and neither Terry or Gwen had seen or heard anything. Warning here, if you're a bit squeamish for the next bit, maybe like skip ahead, but a lot of this is also straight from Hunt for the Hobledorp 2, because <laughs> I just couldn't like reword it. It was yeah, like yeah. perfectly describing something. One of the legs had been ripped off from the knee, like literally from the knee joint as if it like just twisted and popped. And the leg itself or the shin itself was lying about 10 feet from the animal. There was no smell. The inside of the animal looked pink and tender, very healthy and very clean, almost unnaturally clean. All of the internal organs were gone and the broken ribs jutted forlornly toward the sky. The head lay sideways its lifeless eyes staring toward the western sun, now low in the sky. We estimated that this was an 84-pound calf, at least 40 pounds of which were now gone, if you counted its three litres of blood. And this was the most chilling part of the scene, the complete lack of blood. It was as if a giant vacuum cleaner had gone through, in and around the calf's carcass and sucked up every drop of its blood. We even looked for a speck of blood on the grass or on the animal's hide. Nothing, not a drop. The ear that Terry had just tagged was completely removed with surgical precision and there was no tracks of any sort leading towards or away from the calf's body, even though there was still snow on the ground. The other cows were clearly spooked and the calf's mother was still breathing heavily and limping six hours later as the Nids vet performed the necropsy not far from her. The rest of the dogs had also been hiding in their kennels since it had happened, not even coming out to eat or drink. And the one who had alerted Terry in the first place was never seen again. What? Yeah, the dog just... Ran. 
obviously sensed or saw something and gone that never to be seen again. And again, they reiterated, they were like, these are tough, like property defending cow herding dogs. Like they literally yeah. fend off coyotes and other wild dogs. Yeah. Like they're not easily spooked. I don't know, dude, something about all of this and just like the, it's like the insidious nature of how these animals are found. It just makes me feel like we won't know what this is in our lifetime. I mean, possibly not. Probably not. Because it's so good at hiding itself. Well, yeah, this is it. And how fast it does these things. It's almost like whether it has, whether it's an alien thing that can, that can manipulate time in a way that it can slow it down so that it seems that it's actually doing something quickly or, it's like like move like just covering reality with its own veil you know like you see like a matter veil yeah yeah and I, doing things behind curtains and then just you know this matter curtain and then just opens up the curtain and it's like you know what i mean interesting you should say that but anyway for right now the worst thing or one of the like just creepiest things as Colin Kelleher pointed out was the fastidious delicacy right I loved that that phrase that's why I included it but it was this paradoxical like the force that whatever this thing was would have required to literally rip the bone out of the calves legs right yeah rip it in half take everything out and yet it was placed seemingly he said like a rag doll like very purposefully with its arm or well with its legs spread in a certain way and yeah see that's what makes me think that it's not anything wild like a flim flopper oh yeah 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 no i don't think it it is i I don't think it's anything like a flim flopper because it a flim flopper has has origins of something that used to be human and now isn't you know what i mean yeah no that like that has implications of just like wild animal ripping things apart yeah yeah, but like even then, like to be able to rip something, like it has to be really large, really large, and it still couldn't do it with no blood. You know what I mean? Right. Or like the surgical precision of exactly removing an ear, which is why I think I don't think it's anything human. I don't think it's anything that used to be human. I don't think it's a flim flopper. I think this is all alien, man. Well, possibly. With, like, special Honestly, tools and shit. And I will, like, word of warning, like, I'm not going to give you any answers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. No, I think this is alien because it this this probably is something that only tools can do. You know what I mean? In my head, yeah. That's all it is. It's yeah. pure, like, experiment weird shit. Anyway. <laughs> so the next day they spent trying to find any sort of evidence of a predator or intruder or even trying to find missing parts of the calf, but to no avail. They were literally keeping an eye out for the yellow tag, hoping to find the ear, like, just to have something. Yeah. And I also feel really bad for the the mommy cow. I know. Like, it, they did say it looked like it, the calf had maybe been torn from her. Oh. And that's why she was now limping. On the 12th of March, 1997, two days after this, Terry and the three Nids lads were hanging around outside the observation trailer The dogs had finally come out of their kennels, but they were very on guard 
and Terry pointed out that the cattle were even more jumpy than the day before. Something was nearby. Just after 11pm, the dog started howling and so the lads hopped into Terry's truck to go and check on the cows. They were all like pooling in one area of the pasture. Terry was gunning it through the pasture, like bouncing his truck over the roads, headlights going all over the place. But they were also scanning around with his spotlight, like the same one that like cops have on their cars. And they caught a glimpse of a huge shadow beneath the large tree at the edge of the field. So they made a beeline for it, thinking one of the cows was in trouble. When he swung his truck around, the headlights picked up two yellow eyes staring back at them from about 20 foot up the same tree where they had seen the shadow. Terry skidded the truck to a halt about 50 yards away, grabbed his gun, rested it on the door of the truck and shot the thing in the tree. The eyes disappeared. Got him. I saw him fall to the ground, Terry said. They drove on and hopped out of the truck at about 40 feet away from the tree and there was no sign of any creature, so they split up to search for it. In the dark. Yeah. These guys are like insane. Suddenly, Terry yelled, I see him. And two shots ran out in the night. Got him at point blank. (laughs) These are quotes, by the way. Yeah. They ran to where the animal should have been. But again, there was nothing. Terry said it was a huge, heavily muscled dog that must have weighed about 400 pounds and that he had shot him twice. They searched the ground for signs, blood, tracks, whatever. Remember, there was still snow on the ground, particularly in this area because it was in like shaded trees. Mm -hmm. And still they couldn't find anything. Other than a single oval shaped print in the snow with two sharp claws, almost like a bird's talon. And they found one more just like it about 20 feet away. But it just didn't make any sense. Like, did this thing have one, like, springy leg and manage to d- jump? Like, you know? Well, imagine, like, if flim floppers, because we, like, if they're real, yeah. what the rate that they can that they move. Cha- no, that they can shape shift. Oh, yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's crazy how, like, this shit is happening to cows. And they're thinking there's a connection between these flim floppers that they just keep running into. And it's like, they're just like, nah, we just we just like it around here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Well, I think even like for them, the idea of, you know, the flim flocker. I'm sure there's someone out there going, you sound like a fucking idiot. <laughs> but uh, I think like the scientists and Terry like don't necessarily think of it as that. It was like I was saying in the last episode where it's like, oh, it's just the fairies or it's whatever. Yeah. That's just a name to put on this thing that they don't actually know what it is or obviously what it's capable of. At this point, are they connecting or they're suggesting that everything is connected? Yeah, they're here to find what the commonality is. That's the idea of the scientific... What's connecting it all? Yeah, that's the idea of the scientific approach, like to find out what is making this happen. Like what, if anything, is making this happen? Yeah. Or why is this happening? But anyway. they're not thinking that these are like separate things that are just existing in so. the same area. I don't I don't think so, honestly. Because I think that's more likely. Well, I mean, these guys are going in there, as far as I'm aware, with the idea that this is a purely, there is a rational explanation for all this. Oh, they're still going in like that? Well, that's the scientific approach. Like, it might not be rational to what we know now. 
but their aim is to uncover what it is to make it the rational explanation. You know, that's funny that you say rational, though, because rational, I feel like, is very, like, an objective term. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, anyway, rationally, I think this is alien and flimflopper. Yeah. You know? Anyway. <laughs> so they find these two big oval-shaped prints in the snow with two claws in it, in each one. And they're still walking around trying to find this injured thing. And the lads are understandably shitting bricks at this point too. Like whatever about Terry, these guys are just scientists. Like this guy is literally from Kildare, I think. You know what I mean? Uh And they were videotaping their findings and the flashlight beam they were using was visibly shaking like the whole time. He was trying to, one guy was holding the tape recorder saying like, shine it on the footprint. And he's like, I'm trying, man. (laughs) (laughs) Nerves are shot. Yeah. But after what had happened to the calf only the other day, like it was totally understandable. Not to mention the fact that they still had to go and spend the night in the trailer that they could still see from where they were, you know? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I meant I used the wrong word earlier. I said objective. I meant subjective. Oh, okay. That's fine. I'll (laughs) correct it in post. But they also had no solid evidence, right? As far as this... um, scientific approval board or whatever they were called the camera yeah. the advisory board the nids advisory board they were like this shaky video footage just doesn't cut the most yeah it's like this isn't this does nothing yeah this just shows that you were really scared that night yeah <laughs> um, but so the place quietened down for a few weeks as is typical with like ghost haunting stories or anything like things happen in big kind of you know, a bunch of activity all at once and then nothing. Okay. Like the place is just tired. Yeah. Or whatever. So in the beginning of April, two or three weeks after all of this had happened, Terry said that the place just seemed to feel off. A feeling he would get whenever shit was about to go down. Oof. And again, this is another symptom we see with a lot of like home hauntings. I feel like Peggy, the mom from the Enfield haunting. Mm-hmm. She would say that she would feel like a sort of tension headache in a specific part of her head, like right before activity would kick off in the house. Mm-hmm. And this was, who was a guy playfair wrote that book. He was saying like, is this sort of like psychic intuition or something? Or yeah. is it the energy that's drawn that has this weird effect on the people? Like it's yeah. so bizarre. Anyway, sorry. I feel like we're going way off topic tonight. Well, we're tired, so. We are tired. <laughs> anyway, on we April... We are a tired people. Yeah. On April 2nd, another calf disappeared. And Terry noticed that another one of the ranch dogs just hadn't come back either. <sighs> this was the fifth of the farm animals that had disappeared in 1997. I like, And it was only April. This just... Every time I hear... Like, every time you bring up an animal being mutilated or a dog being so scared... Oh, I well, just can't. I mean... That's all this story I know. I'm also not sure if the dog was included in the count of five or whether that was just five calves. Yeah. Anyway, later that afternoon, Terry and Gwen, who Gwen like rarely actually visited the um, ranch these days. Like she was very much happy enough to stay away. Yeah. But funnily enough, she was also there when I think a lot of this stuff happened. You know what I mean? Peculiar. Peculiar. Yes. How? Very interesting. Anyway, the two of them were doing a routine drive along the land, counting the cattle and making sure everything was in order. And they had been keeping four of their own bulls in the corral. 
Two black Simmental, two black Angus, each weighing over 2,000 pounds. Holy crap. Yeah. They're big animals. Huge. And as I was writing this, I was saying, I don't know why they chose to keep these particular cows here. Yeah, man. And not in their own ranch. It's like they're gluttons for punishment. Yeah. Or were they thinking of... The money. The money. Like, you uh, know, if anything goes I'm gonna wrong. I'm going to bring my best bulls. Yeah. So I don't can... know. Like, that only really occurred to me earlier on. Yeah. I like to think not. I, yeah, I don't think so. I, Terry just doesn't give me that vibe. Me neither. But, I mean, I've painted this very clear picture of him in my He's head. He's like Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah, yeah. A farmhand. steroids. Yeah. But as they drove past the corral, Gwen turned to Terry and said, I would go out of my mind if I lost those animals. Terry just nodded silently in agreement and on they went. 45 minutes later, they were driving back past the corral and Gwen screamed. All four of the bulls were gone. Terry is going, he's just slowly shaving years off of his wife's life. <laughs> that by, or his own head is just going to pop like a by, <laughs> by continuing to partake in this. And she like, sure, it's Terry partaking, but like. She's there. She is there. Yeah. You know, like when he's not there, he she, in her mind, it's like Terry's not here because he's at that goddamn ranch oh, that yeah, I don't want to yeah. fucking have anything to do with. And here are her fucking animals at the where are my animals? Oh, they're in the fucking ranch. Don't mind the animals. Here's her money. So these bulls are worth quite a lot. I think they I saw, sound expensive. Yeah. I think they go for. Like on average between five and eight thousand dollars each, like on the very low end. Yeah. The most expensive black Angus bull ever sold at auction, as far as I read, sold for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. One bull. And I and you know what? And like based on what you said, Terry was probably the one that offered up those animals for fucking yeah, what do they call him on um in the Hunger Games, when you offer up someone oh, okay. for for tribute. Tribute, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He fucking offered those animals to Bigelow for tribute. Yeah. For but, what reason? I don't know what possessed him to do this. No, I'm sure that these bulls weren't quite at the $350,000 level, but they were irreplaceable as far as the Shermans were concerned. You know what? Honestly, I'm starting to think that Terry is losing it. Uh, he might like be. he is, I think he is losing it and he doesn't even know it. Well, there was no footprints found in or around the, the corral. The animals simply were and then they weren't. Gwen just sat in the truck sobbing while Terry was trying to figure out just what had transpired. Like he, he is a good tracking person and hunter. So that's what he's looking for. But as he's walking around, he comes upon an old trailer that had been on the property for years and disused. He happened to glance inside as he was walking by and there he saw them. All four of his bulls were wedged inside the trailer, seemingly in a state of hypnosis, but alive. Terry turned and shouted at Gwen in the truck and slapped the trailer to say, I found them, they're in here. But when he hit that, the loud bang seemed to snap them all out of their trance. And much like bulls in the china shop, these bulls went nuts, destroying the complete interior of the trailer in seconds and finally breaking down a metal door, which allowed them all to come stampeding out at once, still in a frantic state. It took Terry and Gwen hours of, quote, cajoling and skillful cowboy tactics 
to get the animals back to the safety of their corral. Again, I don't know why they didn't have them on their own land, but thankfully they were physically unharmed this time. Just They need to take those box. fucking animals out. <laughs> the Nids crew were meeting the following day anyway. That's some f- expensive as bait. Yeah. It's also upsetting. I'm sorry. <laughs> the Nids crew were meeting the following day anyway. And the first thing that they noticed was the door into the trailer. Because obviously that's the first place Terry brought them. He's like, this is where I found them. But they said that the door into the trailer from the corral side, which is the only possible way they could have gotten in there themselves. Yeah, because they're so big. Well, yeah, either way, though, I don't think they would have fit through this particular door. But it was locked shut. And had barbed wire bolting it. And the cobs web and the cobwebs on the inside of the door proved that it hadn't been open for years. Mm. And the trailer was now quite literally covered in bullshit and stinking. I guess that's just what they did as soon as they woke up. They all just shit themselves. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. The NIDS team tested for a bunch of different things after this incident. Well, after every incident, including microwave activity, radiation and magnetism. They found that anything metal in the surrounding area of the trailer was now completely magnetized, which was apparently an extremely common occurrence as Terry would always find his compass going nuts whenever activity was going on. Sometimes the compass would literally just spin in circles. And this was not just analog compasses. This is also like iPhones. What makes things magnetized? In this case, I have no idea. Like in reality, not an alien. Well, you can buy a, a magnetizer and demagnetizer in like Home Depot and you can put your screwdriver in it. Mm-hmm. So you can turn your non-magnetized screwdrivers magnetized and vice versa. Now, what's in that magnetizer? No idea. I think it's just another magnet, honestly. Oh. Interesting. And I also learned that you can demagnetize something by just hitting it in the head. With a, well, not in the head, just hitting it with a hammer. Really? Yeah, and the electrician that taught me that told me that, I mean, you can break anything you want, really, if you hit it with a hammer. (laughs) And I always appreciated that advice. It's so simple. Yeah. (laughs) And on the 3rd of April, I feel like this is like fucking, uh, what's that Christmas thing? Like the 12 nights of Christmas or something? Yeah. Anyway, on the 3rd of April, before the NIDS team even showed up that day, Terry and Gwen were again performing a routine check on the herd understandably on edge after what had happened yesterday. They parked in the west pasture and just watched the herd graze. There was dozens of cows, all just chilling and chomping on grass. And then Terry watched as one of the cows walked over to a big bright blue salt lick. But before it got there, it suddenly stopped, lowered its head and started backing away from something until it could finally get to a point where it could turn around and run. The herd then proceeded to stampede, but splitting almost perfectly in the middle. It was described as like, what's his name? Uh, Moses with the Red Sea. Yeah. You know, your man, what's his face? (laughs) (laughs) But half ran east and half ran west. Terry had knowingly grabbed his compass at this point, and the needle locked onto some invisible target where the cows had divided. Whatever this thing was, the needle of the compass moved with it, any time it got close to the cows, they would bolt away from it. And Terry and Gwen watched this for 11 minutes before the thing seemed to just disappear off to the south. So they could literally follow this thing move 
from like bunches bunches of cows. Yeah, and they can the see. Needle. Yeah, like the cows moving along with it, reacting as yeah. the needle was going. Uh huh. But much like the way the Shermans were not the first family to suffer cattle mutilations in the area or on the ranch specifically, this was also not the first time that cows had disappeared and mysteriously shown up inside of a cramped space. Retired Sheriff Chris Chris Porritt, I think his name was. I honestly, I'm not sure how he pronounced it. Porri. He was good friends with Kenneth Myers, who had owned the land prior to the Shermans. And they had spent a whole day on horseback scouring the land for three heifers that had just disappeared. Now, the sheriff, he was still the sheriff at the time, showed up at like sunrise and they kept going until sunset before finally giving up looking. And they were heading back to the homestead when Ken went over to a small shed that's no longer on the land but he couldn't get the door open. Eventually, the sheriff and him pushed it open just enough to see three heifers stacked on top of each other the fuck? inside the shed in a trance-like state. According to the retired sheriff, he told Ken to go and grab a glass of water and just throw it over him because Ken thought they were dead. But the sheriff said, no, they still had snot running from their nose, which Whoa. is a bit gross. But yeah, as soon as he threw the water over them, they came to life just like the bulls had and they charged out of that thing. And one other thing, just because I know I mentioned earlier like the Enfield haunting and stuff like that, but the other similarity I noticed was this like weird foreshadowing or manifesting. In a good few stories, but particularly the Enfield case, things would only ever happen after a certain person would say, next thing, you know, this is going to happen to us. Yeah. Or with our luck, this is what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And then it does almost yeah. straight away. And Gwen had literally said as she drove past the bulls, quote, I would go out yep. of my mind if I lost any of those uh-huh. animals. I just thought this was another interesting, you know, similarity between other cases. So back to last week, because I know we had to like, well, we didn't have to. It just kind of fit the story that like we jumped ahead a little bit. Uh-huh. But when we spoke about Terry sitting outside... Looking west. Oh, yeah. <laughs> relaxing. Yeah. <laughs> Which I want on a t-shirt, by the way. Somebody please make that happen. I mean, how do you, like, convey with only words that Terry is just relaxing? I just want a picture of a man, like a nice outline of a man, maybe in a rocking chair, maybe just sitting, yeah, sitting in a rocking chair and just... Looking constipated. Like, and the, the caption is just saying, sitting outside, looking west. And relaxing. <laughs> anyway, just before the blue orb came over the horizon. Yeah. The orb that, you know. That killed the fucking dog. Yeah. Yeah. Dogs. Uh, yeah. Three dogs. Just before that came over the horizon, though, I mentioned an orange light in the sky that Terry was so accustomed to at that point that he didn't even pay it much mind. He was like, well, that's there. I'm going to look west and ignore it. Yeah. Terry believes that orange light to be a gateway into another dimension. Terry said that. Terry said this. Whoa. This object or anomaly would appear low in the sky directly outside the homestead and would stay there for long periods of time. Long enough for Terry to study it with binoculars or his preferred method through the scope of his rifle. Of course. (laughs) Of course. No, He actually just had. I bet he showers like with a Brillo pad. Yeah, probably. And a gun, just in case. <laughs> Cuts his nails with the gun. 
But uh, no, there was a tree stump outside the house about four feet tall. And I think it was just perfect for sitting down, resting the gun on there and comfortably looking through the scope. Mm. So I think that was the logistics behind that anyway. Although I think he also just walked around with the scope in his pocket. I do think I remember reading that. So not necessarily the gun, but definitely the the scope. scope. I don't want some of them gay binoculars. (laughs) (laughs) You got to hold it with two hands. I need one hand ready always. need one hand on my revolver. My Nerf gun. Anyway, it would seem to materialize in different stages or strengths. But one particular night, as Terry was looking at this orange mass in the sky, which he said looked like an orange setting sun, large, like really big in the sky, he could see through to the other side where he saw a blue sky. It was nighttime on the ranch, but when he looked through this tear in the night sky, it was daytime wherever he was looking. And it seemed to only be about a mile away. Time. What did I tell you? I know. I was. You know, this is what I, you're talking about? Yeah. And I've been hinting at it, like literally going back to the very first incident with the wolf disappearing. It seemed to just disappear into midair. You know what I mean? Like the tracks were just gone. Yeah. The cows just disappeared. Well, see, Remember the, the cow the, in the, the wolf, snowy field? But see, like the wolf, though, I'm just chalking it up to it transforming into a bird and flying away. Well, I mean, this even sounds more plausible than that now. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just a weird rent in space. Anyway, another night that Terry found noteworthy, the orange mass had appeared, but this time he couldn't see the other side. Just what looked like multiple layers, like a tunnel moving away from him. Right, so this is what I meant when I said, like, so it would appear in, like, different stages of formation, almost. Okay. And when he saw the sky on the other side, uh-huh. it was like that was its purest incarnation. Is that the word? It's, manifestation. It's purest manifestation of yeah. itself. Like, yeah. But on this particular night, like I said, it looked like a tunnel moving away from him. As he stared. Like a wormhole. Like a wormhole, yeah. But as he stared, suddenly he noticed a, quote, fast-moving black object that was silhouetted perfectly against the bright orange background. The black object seemed to grow bigger and Terry could tell that it was moving very rapidly in his direction at the center of the orange window, as he called it. Within seconds, the vaguely triangular object had gained considerably in size and it appeared bigger as it flew directly toward him out of the hole in the sky. The object was moving at such a speed and so quietly that he could make out only the black shape. The object then quickly vanished into the night. But this is what gave him reason to believe that this is genuinely some sort of fucking portal. Yeah. And like I said, Terry believed he had witnessed something entering our reality from another dimension. And it wasn't the only time he would see this either. Another interesting thing that he found out about this tunnel in the sky was that it was only really visible from the homestead. Like it was like the perfect vantage point, but you couldn't see it from anywhere else. So he was driving a road that circled around the property one evening as the tunnel appeared in the sky. And he noticed that as he kept driving, the thing became less visible. But as he came back around from the other direction, it came back into view. From the roadway, all you could see was a faint orange cloud that was pretty much unnoticeable if you weren't looking for it. But as he came back to the homestead, the thing became bigger and clearer. 
the mouth of the tunnel pointing straight at their home. To me, it sounded like, you know, whenever you hold up a mirror, and obviously you can see whatever is reflected in it, but as you move around the room, the perspective changes. And if you stand behind the mirror, obviously you can't see anything. But on the evening of August 25th, 1997, which is my birthday, by the way, it just passed. I'll wait a minute while you message me a belated happy birthday. That's fine. Also, Dulce's was the 6th, so we'll just wait. Also, the Patreon $2 tier is available. (laughs) (laughs) No, but anyway, on August 25th, 1997, the NIDS team had been posted up for six hours in one spot, waiting for something to happen, like anything, when they decided finally to pack up and head to another location. Just as they were putting their stuff away, one of the investigators spotted a strange light about 150 feet away. It was barely noticeable, just a faint yellow glow at first, but over the course of about 20 seconds it grew bigger and brighter. So at first he thought it was like, you know, maybe just the moon hitting like a piece of broken glass or something. But pretty soon he realized, I don't know, this is an actual moving thing. They quickly and quietly pulled out their infrared camera and state-of-the-art night vision binoculars, which were far superior to the Russian equivalent of the time, apparently. (laughs) He went to great lengths in the book to specify that. The light was about 12 inches in diameter now, and growing steadily brighter, hovering just above the ground. The investigator with the night vision binoculars suddenly became very scared and whispered, It's a tunnel. It's not just the light. It was two feet wide now. Jesus Christ, there's something in the tunnel. The investigator who had initially spotted the light could still only see it for that, just a light, as he had no night vision binoculars. But the one who did continued freaking out. Oh my God, there's a black creature climbing out. I see his head. It has no face. The fuck? Oh my God, it just climbed out. The two lads now terrified, but the one who wasn't using the binoculars kept his composure and was just trying to comprehend what was going on like actively trying to take pictures with this special camera. It's on the ground. Oh my God, it walked away. And with that, the circle of light started getting smaller and smaller until it just disappeared again. A big black creature just crawled through that tunnel, got onto the ground and walked away, Mike said. That's what happened and it's lurking around here somewhere. He estimated it to be about 400 pounds And as they stood there listening to make sure that it wasn't coming for them, they heard only the deafening silence as everything had gone quiet in that moment. Even the distant coyotes howling had stopped. Slowly, they made their way down. They had been up on a little kind of cliffside. They made their way down to where the light had been and they found a nauseating sulfur stench so strong that it made them feel physically ill. Initially, their equipment had detected alpha, beta, gamma and x-rays. But after a few minutes, all the levels dropped down back to normal background levels. There was no strange magnetic spikes this time either. They returned in the daylight and again found no evidence. And again, the camera had only picked up a blurry light patch that proved nothing. Could this be an insight into where the cows kept disappearing to, though? I'm going to make... A controversial yet brave statement. Okay. This sounds a lot like Bigfoot. This does sound a lot like Bigfoot. Yeah, no, it does. <laughs> yeah, because he he time tra- like he 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 
he is there's a there's conspiracies that say Bigfoot can travel through portals. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a big part of the book that I have left out intentionally. Um but another very common occurrence with the Bigfoot thing with the what do they call them? The skunk ape in Florida is these nasty smells. Mm. But the fact that they left in the sulfur-like smell mm-hmm. brings in the whole like demon aspect from the Christians and stuff like that as well. Yeah. So now, again... But I mean, sulfur up. can be found in nature. No, I know. But I'm just saying like this is very common manifesting things. Yeah. So again, it doesn't just hit one spot. It covers the whole board. Yeah, yeah. As does almost everything in this case. Mm-hmm. But this is going to be... A tune in next week to find out situation. Like I said, I was trying to fit everything into this one. And it's just not possible without doing the story a, a disservice. So, I mean, you're not actually going to find out what happened, but I'm just going to tell you more yeah. random shit that has happened on All the right. land. Sounds good. So, uh, yeah, sorry to leave you on the, well, it's not really a cliffhanger either. But anyway, I'm loving this story. Me too. I'm not going to lie. I'm really enjoying my, like, time in this little realm. But, uh, yeah, with that being said, thank you, everybody, for nice messages. We've had messages. That one person that was like, yeah, I found you through Just F and Ghost Stories. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's the most random thing ever. But thank you. I appreciate you. And all of our new listeners and old listeners who have reached out to us. I've seen some nice new um I've seen some nice new reviews and stuff like that. It's always so much appreciated. And yeah, if you do want to join our Patreon, like I said, there's a $2 tier now. I'm not sure how that works. If you are already a member or not, you might just need to go on and like re-click the button or something. But yeah, with that being said, join Dulce on Friday. And thank you, Jessamy, for that uh, that unprompted cat video. It was just really nice. Somebody sent you a cat video? Yeah, on Instagram. She didn't mean to send it to me, but because she, she sends it to me on accident. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> She was like, I've never had a conversation with you. So uh, I just want to say, hey, big fan or like long time listener. <laughs> you know, like I didn't want to start really this cool. off with like an unsolicited cat video. <laughs> I mean, anything like, that's going to get your attention, it's going to be an unsolicited cat video. <laughs> and I was like, look. If you had not even given me explanation, I wouldn't have mind. I would have just been like, enjoyed the content and then just kept moving. Yeah, how delightful. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's it. So yeah, join Dulce's Twitch, Kitty Cat Country, two o'clock Fridays, possibly three o'clock Sunday. So I'm doing the around the coffee table at three o'clock on Fridays. It's probably going to be easier if I just do three on Friday and Sunday. Okay, so 3 o'clock Friday and 3 o'clock Sunday. Yeah. Um, And yeah, once again, thank you all very much for the support. I'm hoping to get some more TikToks out very soon and another episode of Just the and Ghost Stories. So keep your eyes out for that. That's it. That's it. Thank you all very much and uh, have a great weekend. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, bye. He had only actually... Column had... Fuck. Oh, <laughs>